Issues Etc. relies on a small group of faithful supporters called the Issues Etc. Reformation Club. These listeners have pledged to become monthly or annual contributors to Issues Etc., and this allows us to budget our expenses more efficiently. Now, there are four levels of giving. The Confessor, $25 monthly, or an annual gift of $250. The Apologist, $50 monthly, or an annual gift of $500. The Reformer, $100 monthly, or an annual gift of $1,000. And The Patron, $200 monthly, or an annual gift of $2,000. Reformation Club benefits include shirts, books, broadcast transcripts, and advertising for confessional Lutheran churches. Learn more about joining the Issues Etc. Reformation Club on the support donate page at issuesetc.org and look for the picture of Martin Luther posting the 95 Theses or call Lynn 618-223-8385. The Issues Etc. Reformation Club. Lutheran Public Radio Choir with the hymn Mighty Fortress is Our God. The 16th century former Martin Luther penned that hymn inspired by the psalm for this coming Sunday, Psalm for Reformation Day, Psalm 46. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Welcome back to Issues Etc. live on this Thursday afternoon, October the 26th. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We're going to be looking forward to Reformation Sunday, according to the one-year lectionary. Pastor Peter Bender joins us. He's pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, and director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Peter, welcome back. Todd, good to be with you. Let's begin with a history of this particular festival. Yes, it's unique to us as Lutherans, and it's an opportunity for us to remind our congregation and its important reminders about the history, where we came from. I love this little brief, succinct chronicling of this that Luther Reed does in his famous The Lutheran Liturgy. And he says that the Lutheran Liturgy is unique among the churches of the world in appointing a festival of the Reformation. This festival, which the common liturgy regards as a major rank, may be traced back to the annual commemoration in domestic circles of the translation of the Bible into the German language, or to the annual Thanksgiving service commemorating the introduction of the Reformation in specific districts, which Bugenhagen, that would be Luther's pastor, appointed in several of his church orders. Similar services of Thanksgiving were instituted by the elector Joachim in 1563 and in Pomerania Church Order 1568. In some places, services were held on the eve of Luther's birthday, which would be November 10th, or on the anniversary of his death in February. 
in Württemberg and Baden, the festival was observed on the Sunday following June 25th, the date of the delivery of the Augsburg Confession, which would be June 25th, 1530. Now, the Thirty Years' War, Luther writes, obliterated these observances. But in 1667, Elector John George II of Saxony reestablished the festival, appointing it for October 31st, which we know is the Eve of All Saints, the Sunday preceding or the Sunday following came to be greatly and generally accepted throughout all of Germany and other Lutheran lands as the time of the Reformation. We know, Todd, 1517 is that date in which Luther posted the 95 Theses. And those 95 Theses were posted on the castle church door in Wittenberg. They were written in Latin. It was not a radical thing to do. That was the place for such public postings. He wanted to have a a disputation, a theological discussion about the sale of indulgences. That is the date that we have used to sort of mark the Reformation. And after October 31st, 1517, those theses in Latin translated into German and spread far and wide, then there was an explosion. We think about Luther's excommunication. We think about his appearance at the Diet of Worms in 1521, where he was called upon to recant everything that he had written. And he asks for a day to think about it. And he comes back and he says, essentially, if I recant all of this, I'm going to be recanting accepted teachings. My writings are of different character. And finally, in the end, they want a clear statement, and he says, my conscience is captive to the word of God. Unless I can be shown by scripture and plain reason where I am in error, it is neither safe nor wise to sin against conscience. Here I stand. I can do no other. So he will not recant. And it's after the Diet of Worms, 1521, on his way back to Wittenberg, that his elector kidnaps him and takes him to the Wartburg Castle That's during that 10-month period, he translates uh, the Bible into German, the vernacular, the people. That is a significant part of of the Reformation. You know, you can talk about music and the place of hymnody, the importance of the liturgy in the language of the people for the teaching of the faith and for what we need to know about Christ. We can talk about the small and large catechisms of Luther in 1529, unlike any catechism ever written. In those small and large catechisms of Luther, we have Luther's pastoral heart, his concern for pastoral care, for the troubled conscience, and teaching the faith to common Christians. Of course, the Reformation, if I were to choose the date today, I'd probably choose June 25th because the Augsburg Confession was presented there before the Emperor Charles V and the representatives of Rome, June 25th, 1530. And that's really like the Magna Carta, if you will, of the Lutheran Church. I think it's important that pastors put before their people, they don't have to do all of these things that I've listed. I mean, that's just a a thumbnail sketch. There are other things, but it's important that we know our history, that we know our roots, 
the Evangelical Lutheran Church is not simply one denomination among many denominations from the Reformation forward. I mean, part of our claim, and the Augsburg Confession makes this repeatedly, is this is not a new faith. This is the Catholic faith, once for all delivered to the saints, and we are not confessing anything that the Church Fathers and the Apostles had not confessed before us. And so, out of that, Todd, comes important doctrinal themes that the Reformation captures again, you know, returns the church to. And of course, chief among those is a return to the central teaching of Holy Scripture, Christ, and the justification of the sinner before God by grace alone, through faith alone, on the basis of what Christ alone has done for us in his death and resurrection. We can emphasize the certainty of salvation in Christ with the word of God outside of ourselves, the promise of salvation in Christ, who is the object of the faith of all Christians. These are not idiosyncratic themes of a remote little denomination in the Western tradition. This is central to the Christian faith, the certainty of salvation in Christ. The Reformation emphasized the solas, that Latin word for only, grace alone, faith alone, scripture alone, Christ alone. Those are important biblical themes that have been accented for 2,000 years of the church's history, and they stretch back into the Old Testament church as well. Other doctrinal themes. The Lutheran Reformation is marked by a return to the understanding that good works don't save us, but that good works are rather an expression of our faith in Christ and are done in loving service to the neighbor. So we believe in good works, not for our salvation, but we believe in them for the service to our neighbor and as a way to express our faith in Christ. I would also emphasize these things, you know, the importance of the word of God. Luther translated the Bible into the vernacular, the plain sense of scripture that everyone should hear and have access to the Bible, that the faith confessed by Lutherans is Catholic, the historic Christian faith confessed since the time of the apostles, the um, elevation of the domestic estate of marriage and family as God ordered it. This is the true spiritual life where our faith in Christ is lived out in marriage and in family. One could talk about the reforms in education that the Reformation highlighted as well. And there's countless others, but of course, a return to the central teaching, Christ. Justification of the sinner before God by grace alone, through faith alone, for Christ's sake alone. Let's talk about the intro, which is Psalm 34 and a bit of Psalm 119. That's right. The Antiphon begins with Psalm 119, verse 46, and those who are familiar with the Book of Concord will remember that that verse, I will speak of your testimonies before kings, O Lord, and shall not be put to shame, appears at the beginning of the Book of Concord in the Augsburg Confession. And that little history that I went over, you know, Luther at the Diet of Worms, and then the Augsburg Confession, where the evangelical Lutheran princes were willing to lose their head rather than deny their faith, and they made that confession before 
the Emperor Charles V. That's why that antiphon is there. I will speak of your testimonies before kings, O Lord, and shall not be put to shame. And then the body of the intro, it continues with Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. So it is a great intro to reflect upon the important history of the Reformation and some of the turmoil of conscience and external persecution that Luther endured and that countless Christians have endured down through the centuries. I mean, if you think about the turmoil of conscience, let's just talk about the setting in which Luther found himself. Here he's an Augustinian monk and he's a theologian at the University of Wittenberg and how do I find a gracious God? You know, that was the question that plagued him and that in many ways sent him into the monastic life. And then later he becomes a priest and a doctor of theology. But this discovery, if you will, of the gospel and this reading of Romans and Galatians about the righteousness of God or not his demands upon us, but what Christ has done. You can imagine Luther at the Diet of Worms before both church and state the so-called Holy Roman Empire, and the emperor is there. Am I really correct, or am I the one that's in the wrong? So his conscience was not only troubled by his sin, but then the accusations of the evil one. Who do you think you are? And so the intro, it kind of, if you know that history, it becomes really an appropriate set of verses. And it focuses upon how God's grace to us in Christ's redemption and the forgiveness of all our sins is the ultimate liberator of our conscience. It is our refuge and our strength. The world may condemn us. Church and state may condemn us. But for Jesus' sake, God will not condemn us. And this is part of what was behind Luther's Here I Stand, that if I let go of this gospel, then I have no freedom. I have no comfort. I have no hope. So this is our song of praise. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And for Luther and those of the Lutheran Reformation, that song of praise is the gospel itself, the justification of the sinner before God by grace through faith. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. We'll get into the collect of the day for Reformation Sunday according to the one-year lectionary with him next. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we are rolling right along in our adventures in Acts with Almost Persuaded, Paul Sails for Rome, A Fateful Decision, Paul's I Told You So, and Approaching Land. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world. 
specifically pastors who are asking for additional education but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com, lutheracademy.com. Grace, Faith, Scripture, and Christ Alone. You're listening to Issues Etc. Teaching your student to read should not be complicated. Memoria Press's Phonics uses common sense and the classical approach with their First Start Reading program for the most effective and efficient way to teach your child how to read. If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. Faithful Christians are facing enormous challenges and uncertainties. Where are we to find our strength? Join us at St. John Lutheran in Sycamore, Illinois, as Pastor Adam Kuntz presents on the theme, Strong Under Pressure, the Church's Life in Paul's First Letter to Timothy. This conference is on Saturday, November 18th. Go to ChristianFaithAndLife.com for more information and to register. That's ChristianFaithAndLife.com. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. Pastor Peter Bender, pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, and director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy is our guest. We're looking forward to Reformation Sunday, according to the one-year lectionary. Peter, what's the collect for Reformation Sunday? Almighty and gracious Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on your faithful people. Keep us steadfast in your grace and truth. Protect and deliver us in times of temptation. Defend us against all enemies, and grant to your church your saving peace. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. By the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in word and sacrament, we pray to be kept steadfast in God's grace and truth. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the truth of his gospel. And I think it's important, and I'll, I'll kind of interrupt my commentary on the collect at this point to underscore that while I believe it's very important that we remind our people of our history, where we came from, and the significant happenings of the Reformation and the recovery of the pure gospel, it is ultimately a day not about Luther, but about the gospel, about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the truth of his gospel. So the collect says, protect and deliver us in times of temptation. How naturally we recoil in the face of danger, threats to our lives, our livelihood, our reputation. As it was in the days of the Reformation 500 years ago, so it is today. And so we pray, defend us against all enemies and grant to your church your saving peace. Devil, world, flesh, people in high places, society, culture, government, church leadership at times. These can all fight against the truth of the gospel and our faith in Christ. So we pray, defend us. Defend us and grant your church your saving peace, the peace of being justified, the peace of being declared righteous before God for Christ's sake. So great colic for the day. 
The first reading is from Revelation 14. Yeah, there have been Old Testament readings, sometimes a sign for the Reformation, but a longstanding history is that instead of an Old Testament reading, it is this first reading from Revelation 14, just two verses, six and seven. I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, every nation and tribe and language of people. And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. This is the word of the Lord. Now, the choice of this particular reading as the first reading comes out of the firm belief by many of the reformers that the end times were absolutely upon them. Christ could return at any moment. I don't think it is easy for our people today to grasp the cataclysmic shock waves that both church and state were experiencing at the time of the Reformation. I mean, quite literally, the heavens and the earth were being shaken. And so at the time of the Reformation, the papacy, and I mean, if you think about this, Pope Leo X excommunicated Martin Luther for teaching this horrific doctrine that salvation is by grace alone through faith in Christ alone and not by works. And he is damned and condemned to hell for that. I mean, no wonder the papacy was referred to as the Antichrist. And so when they read sections of Revelation in this chapter 14, the verses preceding it and so forth, many at the time of the Reformation saw Revelation's reference to Babylon as a reference to the papacy because of the hatred of the very gospel that the Reformation was holding forth and the reforms that Luther and others wanted to bring forth in the church. So because of this, many saw Luther as that angel in Revelation 14 with the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people saying, fear God and give glory to him. I love how the, I believe it's C.F.W. Walther, Francis Pieper, talk, the mark of true theology is that it gives all glory to God and takes none for ourselves. And that certainly characterizes the Reformation. And whether we understand Luther as this other angel in Revelation 14, I think it is absolutely fair to say that there is always God's angel in every time and in every age of the church who trumpets the gospel of Jesus Christ this justification of the sinner before God through the merits of Jesus' death and resurrection. And that angel, that messenger, will never be silenced as long as the earth endures. The gradual from Psalm 48 and the psalm, Psalm 46. Now, we'll talk at the end about the hymn of the day, and there's two choices, salvation unto us has come, and then a mighty fortress. Here you see in, in the gradual... And then in the psalm, Psalm 46, this theme of God as our fortress, the church as a fortress for the baptized faithful. So the gradual from Psalm 48 reads this way, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. Walk about Zion, go around her, number her towers, consider well her ramparts, go through her citadels that you may tell the next generation 
that this is God, our God forever and ever. So again, there's another theme of the Reformation is how all of Christian theology gives glory to God, as we said, and no credit to us. So another Reformation theme is to see how the true church of Jesus Christ founded upon the word of God and the certainty of salvation in Christ. The church herself is a mighty fortress, the city of our God, Mount Zion, with mighty towers and ramparts, a citadel out of which is proclaimed the glorious gospel of Christ to the next generation. This is God, our God forever and ever. And for the reformers and for us as confessing Lutheran Christians, when we say that this is God, we're talking about Christ is God. He is our God forever and ever, for he is our righteousness. He has laid down his life for us. And the church becomes a citadel, the city of God, because Christ is our mighty fortress. And that leads us into the, the psalm for the day, which is Psalm 46 that Luther used for his paraphrase, In a Mighty Fortress is Our God, that great hymn, sometimes called the battle hymn of the Reformation. Verse 7 is the antiphon for the psalm, and the psalm reads this way. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still, and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. What a wonderful psalm. I mean, most of us know most of the language by heart. We can hear the, the words of the great hymn, A Mighty Fortress, when we pray the psalm. It's kind of divided into three parts. The first part, based on the assertion, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. We've already highlighted some of the troubles that Luther and the Reformers were going through. The second part just speaks of the great calm that comes in the city of God. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the river of life, the river of Christ's forgiving grace in his blood shed for us, the river whose streams make glad the city of God, we begin to drink of that river now in this life through the pure preaching of the gospel and the holy sacraments and in the life to come, that river of life will make glad the city of God for all eternity. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved, not in this life nor in eternity. And as that part concludes, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. 
That's that word of God outside of ourselves, which is the anchor for the soul and the fountain and source of all comfort, security, and peace. And then the third part of the psalm, come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. Be still and know that I am God. That is the call to live by simple faith in the word of the gospel alone. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And then, I mean, verse 7 was the antiphon. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Verse 11 of the psalm returns to that. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So great, great psalm. The assertions of the gospel captured in this fortress language are our strength. And the enemies of Christ, the enemies of the Christian, those who fight against us do not want us to believe in Jesus. But by his word, the spirit of God creates faith, sustains faith. Wonderful song. We will get into the epistle for Reformation Sunday, according to the one-year lectionary. Romans 3, beginning at verse 19, with Pastor Peter Bender, next. This is Pastor Matthew Harrison, President of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The LCMS operates the second largest parochial school system in the United States. What can you expect from a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod school? There's one race, the human race. And Jesus died for the sins of every man, woman, and child from every land and every nation. Life begins at conception. All life is precious from womb to tomb. And every student, parent, and teacher is created in the very image of God. There's right and wrong, and we know which is which from the Ten Commandments. There are only two sexes, male and female, he created them. Marriage is the lifelong union of one man and one woman. There's such a thing as objective, absolute truth, and it's found in the person and work of Jesus Christ and his word. To find a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod school near you, visit lcms.org schools. Martin Luther on Mental Health, Practical Advice for Christians Today is the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for October. It's written by Lutheran layman Dr. Stephen Saunders, professor of psychology at Marquette University. Martin Luther on Mental Health is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number, 1-800-325-3040, or learn more at issuesetc.org. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for October, Martin Luther on Mental Health. This is LCMS missionary, Pastor John Bombaro. The Coeur area in North Idaho has a new confessional parish committed to the Lutheran liturgy, excellence in biblical teaching, and faithful pastoral care. Blessed Sacrament Lutheran Church of Hayden, Idaho, meets at 9 a.m. for our Augsburg Academy and 10 a.m. for the Divine Service of Holy Communion, at which we encounter the real voice and real presence of Jesus Christ. For our location or to join the growing family of Lutherans dedicated to the sacraments, confessions, and historic liturgy, Visit BlessedSacramentLutheranChurch.com. Educating a new generation of Lutherans. You're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by becoming an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Advent Lutheran, Zionsville, Indiana. Concordia Lutheran, Sykeston, Missouri. Grace Lutheran, Auburn, Michigan. Emmanuel Lutheran, Everett, Washington. Messiah Lutheran, Grand Rapids, Michigan. 
Our Savior Lutheran, Ridgecrest, California, Redeemer Lutheran, Los Alamos, New Mexico, St. John Lutheran, New Berlin, Illinois, St. Paul Lutheran, Montevideo, Minnesota, Trinity Lutheran, Okmulgee, Oklahoma, and Zion Lutheran, St. Labore, Nebraska. Find out how your confessional Lutheran church can support this worldwide outreach by including issues, etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to issuesetc.org, click Support, Donate, and print a one-page flyer. When your congregation becomes an Issues Etc. sponsor, we'll publicize your church on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're looking forward to Sunday morning on this Thursday, October the 26th. Pastor Peter Bender of the Concordia Catechetical Academy is our guest. Peter, we come to the epistle reading for Reformation Sunday, Romans 3, 19 through 28. Yes, some consider this the climactic reading for the day of Reformation. The climactic reading is always the gospel for the day, but Paul catechizes us in those central truths of the Reformation and the function of law and gospel and the meaning of the atonement of Christ. So he says, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. That's why I said, interrupting the reading here, Paul catechizes us in the spiritual function of the law. The law shows us our sin. By the law comes the knowledge of sin. A careful reading of the law it condemns all of us. There is none righteous, no, not one. That is in the verses quoted from the Psalms immediately prior to these verses appointed as the epistle for the day. So by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in the sight of God. By the law comes the knowledge of sin. And then the function of the gospel. Verse 21 and following. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. This is the word of the Lord. So there's so much that one can focus upon in this epistle, especially if you want goes back to some of those themes, doctrinal themes that we highlighted at the beginning. I mean, one of them is, what is the Bible about? So in verse 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law, 
which is the first five books of Moses and the prophets, the rest of the Old Testament, bear witness to it, namely, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So it's not just that justification was taught by the apostles in the New Testament, but rather that we are saved by God's grace and we are justified by the merits of Christ goes back to the Old Testament. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. There's no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God from Adam to the present. And all are justified by his grace, his undeserved love in Christ as a gift, not by human merit, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. I mean, you can hardly find a passage of Holy Scripture that more clearly emphasize that we are justified, declared righteous, forgiven on the basis of the merits of Christ through his blood shed for us. His blood is called propitiation. That means that it expiates all of the judgment of the law and God's wrath. Propitiation here means he is the mercy seat, the location of God's mercy and forgiveness. It takes us back again to the Old Testament mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant where the blood of atonement was poured to make payment for sin and then the priest came out and sprinkled the congregation with the blood and water for their forgiveness. This propitiation by his blood, this righteousness of God is received by faith. So, as I said, this is a catechesis on the meaning of the atonement. What did Christ do in his death upon the cross? He took the punishment for the sins of the world, demanded by the law, according to the judgment of the law. He took it upon himself, and by that sacrifice he made payment, atonement for sin. Paul says, no one is justified by the works of the law. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Salvation is a free gift of God's grace in Christ, received by faith alone, the miracle of faith that the Holy Spirit works in us by the gospel. So what is the righteousness of God? Dikaiu sine tu theu in the Greek. It is Christ's death for us upon the cross. It is that the Father offered up his only begotten Son for us. He is the propitiation for our sins by his blood. He is the mercy seat. There is no boasting in our works. He is the location of God's mercy, forgiveness, life, and salvation for all sinners through his blood. And so there is great boasting, but not in our works, an eternal boasting in the works of Christ and in his righteousness that covers all sin, that comforts the troubled conscience and gives us peace. Now, this idea of the righteousness of God or the justification of the sinner before God by grace alone, through faith in Christ alone, is emphasized in all of the six chief parts of the Catechism. Think about the second article, the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ under the creed. He's redeemed me with his holy precious blood, with his innocent suffering and death, that I may be his own and serve him in his everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. The third article of the creed, the Holy Spirit has called me to faith by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts. The Lord's Prayer, second petition, thy kingdom come, the kingdom of God comes when our Heavenly Father gives us his Holy Spirit so that we believe his holy word, salvation by faith alone. Or the sacrament of holy baptism, it works forgiveness of sins, rescues from death, and the devil gives eternal salvation that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. 
or a confession in the office of the keys that the absolution is valid and certain, even in heaven, because Christ the Lord has spoken it to us himself through the mouth of our minister, or the sacrament of the altar. What is the benefit of this eating and drinking? These words given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins show us that in the sacrament, forgiveness of sins, life and salvation are given us through these words. So I want to point that out with the catechism because it is, again, it is not as if the justification of the sinner before God by grace through faith for Christ's sake is an isolated doctrine. It permeates all of scripture and Luther's little catechism highlights that throughout. The Alleluia verse, Luke 12, verse 32. Alleluia, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. These are the words of Jesus to his little flock, a description of the church militant in this world. She's always in the minority. She's always buffeted and persecuted. Luther describes her as looking like a poor, pathetic scullery maid, but none of that matters. She belongs to Christ. Have no fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And the things that we suffer for the sake of the gospel, we do so according to God's gracious providence as a sign that we belong to him who suffered for us. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, Reformation Sunday, according to the one-year lectionary. We'll get to the first of two alternative gospel readings, John 8, next. In 1521, at the Diet of Worms, Martin Luther was asked to recant his writings. Luther responded, Unless I am convinced from the sacred scriptures that I am in error, I cannot and will not recant. Here I stand, I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. Will you stand with us as we proclaim these Reformation truths in the 21st century? You can take your stand by becoming a monthly or annual contributor to Issues Etc., Find out the benefits of becoming an Issues Etc. confessor, apologist, reformer, or patron on the Support Donate page at issuesetc.org. Click the picture of Martin Luther posting the 95 Theses. Help us proclaim the solas of the Reformation. Scripture, faith, grace, and Christ alone. Here we stand, Issues Etc. and you. Real Reformation Radio. You're listening to Issues Etc. Have you ever wondered about some of the more difficult topics or teachings of Scripture, such as what does the Bible say about polygamy or slavery or the free will, or what about law and gospel? The October issue of The Lutheran Witness is a twin to the August 2022 issue, and it takes up some of these difficult teachings of Scripture and explains them in detail. To get your copy, visit cph.org witness or the Lutheran Witness website witness.lsms.org. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the world from a Lutheran perspective. Join Lutherans for Life and Why for Life in Washington, D.C., Thursday, January 18th through Saturday, January 20th for the 2024 Why for Life Free Conference. Registration is open through December 15th. Learn more at why4life.org. Great events, speakers, and social time. The 2024 Why for Life Free Conference, January 18th through the 20th in Washington, D.C. Why4life.org. 
Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. He's pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, and director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Folks, here's a way that you can help us proclaim the biblical truths rediscovered during the 16th century Lutheran Reformation. Become a monthly or annual contributor to Issues Etc. It's called the Issues Etc. Reformation Club. Membership premiums include shirts, books, broadcast transcripts, and advertising for your confessional Lutheran church. For more information on becoming an Issues Etc. confessor, apologist, reformer, or patron, look for the picture of Martin Luther posting the 95 Theses on the support donate page at issuesetc.org or give us a call 618-223-8385, the Issues Etc. Reformation Club. Pastor Bender, the first or the primary gospel reading for Reformation Sunday, John 8. Yes, the truth shall set you free. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham, and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This is the gospel of the Lord. So look at some of Jesus' catechesis here. Paul develops these themes when Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. That's what Paul is talking about when he says, by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in the sight of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So this gospel, Todd, is spoken to the Jews of Jesus' day who believed in him. They were in the minority, just like people who believe in Jesus today are in the minority. But the first believers, the first disciples, were Jews. Disciples of Jesus are those who believe his word, who abide in his word, who live in his word. He makes us a promise. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth of which Jesus is speaking here is not some sort of generic truth, but the truth that he testifies to throughout the Gospels. The truth of our sin, of our need, of our desperate plight, and the truth of God's love, of God's mercy, of God's forgiveness in Christ. The truth of the righteousness of God in the death of his Son, by which we are declared righteous before God, and therefore need fear no judgment. It's the truth that Jesus speaks of when he appears before Pontius Pilate in that account later in the Gospel of John. For this cause I was born, for this cause I came into the world, that I may testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And we remember Pilate said, what is truth? And in the wonderful events of the Passion, even Pilate, though he did not believe, ends up testifying to the truth. Behold the man. He is the Son of God. Sin enslaves us in a slavery from which we cannot free ourselves. Christ's forgiveness sets us free and gives us a freedom from condemnation, a freedom that is eternal and life-giving.
So by the word of Jesus, we are born into what he calls sonship, his sonship. The sonship of the eternal son of God, who has made atonement for our sins. You know, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. But if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. We continue in the household of God as free sons of the father for Jesus' sake, through faith in him. If the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This is not an egalitarian freedom to do whatever it is that we please, but a freedom from bondage to sin, a freedom from death, a freedom from the power of Satan. It is freedom from the law's condemnation. It is the freedom and peace of conscience that is at rest in Christ's justifying word. Son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. You belong to me. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's why Luther at the Diet of Worms said, here I stand, I can do no other. If I let go of this word, then I have no peace. I have no comfort. I have no certainty of salvation. There is also an alternate gospel, Matthew eleven twelve through 19. And this emphasizes the theme that the kingdom of God suffers violence. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violence take it or seize upon it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came, neither eating nor drinking, and they say he is a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. This is the gospel of the Lord. So this gospel reading emphasizes the theme of persecution and how the kingdom of God suffers violence at the hands of those who reject the gospel. And of course, we can see those things happening at the time of the Reformation as well as today. The call to repentance from the dead works of our sinful flesh is never painless for the sinner who hears it. And I think Jesus is highlighting that in his reference to John the Baptist as being like Elijah, who is to come to prepare the way for the Lord. So it's never painless for those sinners who hear it. And the response is often violence toward those who proclaim it. So the works righteous Pharisees of Jesus' day rejected both John the Baptist and his austere life and the ministry of repentance. And they accused Jesus of being a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. The message of both John and Jesus was the same, and they rejected both for their same self-righteous reasons. Well, thank God Jesus is the friend of tax collectors and sinners. If he were not, you and I would have no certainty of salvation. So when Jesus refers to this generation, you know, what till I compare this generation like children sitting in the marketplace? This generation of unbelievers always wants to be praised for its works. As it was from the beginning, it is now, and it will be as long as the world endures. It wants to be praised for its works, even as it rejects the works of Christ. 
So we played the flute for you, the world says, you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. Instead, the preaching of John and Jesus was rejected. It was hated by so many who heard it. But the wisdom of the cross is justified by her children, the disciples of Jesus, who out of faith in the wisdom of the cross, the justifying word of God, continue to proclaim and confess the saving gospel of Jesus Christ, even and especially to those who, like the Pharisees, reject the love of God in Christ. How would you summarize this coming Sunday in terms of law and gospel? Well, the law must address the belief in salvation by works. Reliance upon works is futile because it does not flow from pure, selfless love for God and for the neighbor, but rather from a love of self and a desire to obtain benefits from God or other people on the basis of what we do. This love of self and our own accomplishments is at the heart of sin because it looks inward and it rejects the love of God. All such self-reliance is fundamentally idolatry and it bends us inward. And you know, it's the thing I like to say about works righteousness is not simply as we were sometimes kind of taught that I can't save myself by my own good works because no matter how good I am, they're still tainted with sin. And that's true, but the motivation for doing such works ultimately is self-service. And that's completely the opposite of the love of God we see in Christ who does what he does for us and for our benefit. I think, secondly, the law must address any Lutheran pride or Lutheran pharisaical self-righteousness, if I might call it that. In other words, we don't want to appear on Reformation Sunday in a boastful kind of confession. I thank God I'm not a Roman Catholic of the Middle Ages. As if the gift of the gospel and the recovery of the gospel was something that we accomplished, but rather we should approach this day with humility and in thanksgiving to God for that gospel that was recovered and has been of benefit to Christians and to church bodies of all communions. And as far as the unique gospel for the day, Todd, I'll repeat what I said under the gospel, John 8, for the day. Christ's forgiveness sets us free. Christ's forgiveness gives us a freedom from condemnation, a freedom that is eternal and life-giving. By the word of Jesus, we're born into his sonship the sonship of the eternal Son of God who has made atonement for our sins. We continue in the household of God as free sons of the Father for Jesus' sake. If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. A freedom from bondage to sin, from death, from the power of Satan. A freedom from the law's condemnation. It is a freedom and peace of conscience that is set at rest by Christ's justifying words, Son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. You belong to me. And that unique gospel for the day is picked up on, on both options for the hymn of the day. Hymn 555 in LSB, Paul Speritus, Salvation Unto Us Has Come, is 10 stanzas of the most beautiful exposition and summary of law and gospel from beginning to end. Starting out with that great declaration, Salvation Unto Us Has Come by God's Free Grace and Favor, what God did in his law demand, none to him could render. It was a false, misleading dream that God his law had given. 
Yet the law must be fulfilled, and Christ came, and since he has full atonement made, he has brought to us salvation, and each Christian, therefore, may be glad. And stanza 9, faith clings to Jesus' cross alone and rests in him unceasing. And of course, probably the most popular hymn of the day is A Mighty Fortress Itself. And I draw our attention to stanza two, with might of ours cannot be done. Soon were our loss affected, but for us fights the valiant one whom God himself elected. Ask ye, who is this? Jesus Christ it is, of Sabaoth Lord, and there's none other God. He holds the field forever. Though devils all the world should fill, all eager to devour us, we tremble not, we fear no ill, they shall not overpower us. This world's prince may still scowl fierce as he will, he can harm us none, he's judged, the deed is done, one little word can fell him. The word they still shall let remain, nor any thanks have for it, he's by our side upon the plain with his good gifts and spirit. And take they our life, goods, fame, child, and wife, though these all be gone, our victory has been won. The kingdom ours remaineth. And all for Jesus' sake, Todd, who has suffered and died for us, and is our righteousness and eternal comfort. Pastor Peter Bender is pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, and director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Peter, thank you. Thank you, Todd. Friday on Issues Etc., we'll have Pastor Brian Wolfmiller continue his teaching on the Lord's Prayer, and Pastor Jonathan Connor will join us for our series, Kids Have Questions. I'm Todd Wilkin. Talk with you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Issues Etc. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.